Well, that was a very interesting night last night. Again, as we wind down, closing in on the uh, on the end of the regular season. But before we get to any of the races, I did want to get to um, to talk about Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So last night he has a monster night. He has five points. He's now up to ninety six on the season. Now, for those playing the home game. Tell me if you had Ryan Nugent Hopkins on your bingo card as third fiddle to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And if you say yes, you're a liar. Because the career high for Ryan Nugent Hopkins in points was 69 going into this season. He is at the reverse of that, 96 with games remaining. Now, the last time that three teammates had 100 points in a season was 95-96, Ron Francis, Yarmir Yager, Mario Lemieux. Now, that was a long time ago. And, I mean, we got kind of close to it last year. Uh, the Flames had two guys uh, that, well, Gaudreau and Kachuk had had 100-point seasons. Lindholm was close-ish. But we're going to see that. Like, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is getting four points the rest of the way here. What I was curious about was... Can he catch Nikita Kucherov? Now that's a that's a really tall task here. Kucherov is up to, I believe, 104 points. There's an eight-point spread between the two, but maybe Nikita Kucherov gets a night off here. Maybe he needs to rest a little bit. And maybe Ryan Nugent Hopkins can take advantage of that because as it stands right now, the Edmonton Oilers are still very much in the thick of things in the Pacific Division for that crown, especially after beating the team that's in first place, the Vegas Golden Knights. The last time that teammates finished one, two, three in scoring was the 86, 87 season. Wayne Gretzky, Yari Curry, and Mark Messier. And I believe Mark Messier was actually tied for third. So if you want to go back without a tie, you got to go back even further to the 70, 71 season where the Boston Bruins had not only one, two, and three locked up, but they also had four Phil Esposito, Bobby Orr, Johnny Busick, and Ken Hodge. So we're we're going back in the time machine here to find the last time that teammates finished one, two, three in scoring. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having a fantastic season. So as I mentioned, every night from here on out, generally speaking, is going to have its playoff implications. So last night, Edmonton, like I said, closes the gap in the Pacific thanks to beating Vegas and LA losing to the Flames. Calgary does their own thing by keeping pace with the Jets. Their win over L.A. puts them even closer, and the Jets lose to the cellar-dwelling Sharks. And we'll hear from we'll hear from uh, Rick Bonus a little bit later on, but it, that's a nightmarish game for the Jets. Like you, you have to have games against teams like the San Jose Sharks, who frankly do not want to be here at this point. It's over. They may end up with Connor Bedard. That's a game that if you're the Winnipeg Jets that you absolutely have to have. So Nashville also in that conversation gets a huge road win over the Bruins. Dallas moves into a tie for second place with the Avs in the central who are both one point behind the Minnesota wild, the wild and the avalanche will play tonight. This central division race, and we'll get to it uh, with, with our, our first guest, uh, Elliot Freeman will join us actually at one 30 today. Billy Jaffe at one o'clock. We'll talk about the Bruins. We'll talk about last night. Uh, we'll hear from Max Domi and his clip uh, from 32 thoughts sat down with Jeff Merrick. And you'll also hear from Liam McHugh host of NHL on TNT who will join me next. But that central division is looking like a lot of fun going down the stretch. And it's something that we didn't think that we were going to see the Avs 
kind of looked like they were going to be in it, but not really in it. Minnesota really has played well over the last month, and a lot of that without Kirill Kaprizov. So the Central Division is great, but let's talk about the Eastern Conference for a second. The Pittsburgh Penguins go into Detroit last night. Detroit's banged up. Detroit's got guys called up from the minors. It's really a mess. It's really a situation where the Pittsburgh Penguins should get a win. They fall down 3 nothing early. They come back. They tie the game on a very questionable call, which we will get to very shortly here. But then they lose 7-4. And it's just, it's last night was kind of a microcosm of the Penguin season. Close, but no cigar, and you can't get a save. So what that does is that absolutely opens up the door for the Florida Panthers. Now they've both played the same amount of games. That was their game in hand last night, the Penguins. And they totally blew it. Totally blew it against a team that is out of it. Again, another team, not as bad as the Winnipeg loss to San Jose, but equally as painful because both teams in a similar situation, they're fighting for that spot, that final wildcard spot. But what really stood out to me last night was Derek Lalone absolutely losing his mind on the officials. And he said, after the goal was, was uh, the, the, the challenge was overruled and the goal stood, he asked, what the bleep is goaltender interference? And I feel like Derek Lalone speaks for the rest of us in saying, I have no idea what goaltender interference is either. Basically, Nadelkovich was pitchforked into the net by Jason Zucker. I don't think there's any question about that. He was pitchforked into the net, puck crosses the line, and it eventually becomes a goal. This is where it's going to get dangerous because now there is a precedent that has been set by the war room in Toronto about what goaltender interference is. So, in a sense, there is almost free reign on what may be a loose puck under the goalie's pad in which you can actually physically move the goalie's pad with your stick to put the puck in the net. The timing of this is horrible because we are right around the corner from the playoffs and where all of the goals, not all of them, but a lot of the goals are scored right around the net in within two, three feet, those dirty goals. Could you imagine that one of these happens, goes to the war room and that is the decider of a series? Oh boy. I don't want to be in anybody's position to make that call. The Jeff Merrick Show is here. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. Let's get the show started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Pleased to be joined on the line here by Leah McHugh, host of NHL on TNT, which has a couple of really nice matchups tonight, and we'll get to a few of them. But, Liam, I wanted to ask you, because I saw your tweet last night about Derek Lalone, and I feel like you're with me on this one in that I have no idea what goaltender interference is anymore. No, he speaks for the people. He does. You know, uh, it was... Uh, it was such a genuine and in the moment appropriate response to be like, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm losing my mind here. Cause I think I know what it is and I think I saw it, but no, it's not. And all of a sudden he's ejected from the game. Uh, amazingly Pittsburgh still loses that game, but it's, uh, it feels like, and I covered the NFL for years. It was the, what's a catch. What's not a catch. And now we're going to slow it down and it's still going to be subjective. Uh, and I heard what you said. It sets a precedent precedent, but uh, I wonder even if it does, because I, I feel like the minute I feel like a precedent has been set and I know what it is. Uh, we go back the other way and I'm unsure again. So uh, it's, 
it's difficult to really understand, but I'm agreeing with you definitely because we get to the playoffs. I agree with you that this creates a problem because you know how many like dirty, greasy, right in the crease goals are scored and are game changers and series changers in the playoffs. Um, it's that type of, you know, it's that type of hockey. Big guys right in front, just battling, battling, battling. Uh, it, it's it's going to be never ending. At this point, we do have Henrik Lundqvist on the show tonight, so I'm very interested to get his take on this entire thing. I'm sure, though, Henrik Lundqvist, being a goalie, thinks it was goaltender interference. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I think he's a little bit biased in the matter. But see, here's my here's my issue with it. If it was something where the goalie kind of gets bumped or the guy skating through the crease and maybe it catches his pad or something like that, that to me is like, okay, that I can I can understand why a, an opposing team would be kind of upset that maybe they didn't get a goal called for them. But in that case last night, if you're Pittsburgh, I don't know how you look at that situation and go, we weren't lucky. I mean, like you said, they still lose the game, but I saw no indication that, like Zucker, I don't even know if he touched the puck. I think he just jammed, I, he, like I said, he pitchforked Nadelkovich's pad into the net. And I mean, if you don't touch the puck and you push the goalie's pad into the net with the puck under it, to me, that seems as obvious as it gets, but apparently not. So again, I come back to, I have no idea what, what this rule is no. anymore. No, it's, uh, and really in essence, like that's the problem. I mean, the only thing I could, I guess go to is that maybe his pad, when he moved his pad, he put the puck in the net prior to getting pitchfork. That's the only thing if they slow down and frame by frame it. But to me, I, I don't know. It, it's it's confusing. And the weird thing to me here is that there are some things that video review, and that certainly helps. You get a better understanding when you do video review of goaltender interference. But in the end, it's a judgment call, right? So oftentimes we slow it down. We frame by frame it. And then it's like, all right, well, it's still kind of subjective. So what do you think? Uh, meanwhile, there are things like puck over the glass. If you review it, it's black and white. Yet we don't review that. Yeah. So uh, that like things like that always boggle the mind. Where it's like, well, we can get that right 100% of the time, and it's no longer subjective. Nope, we're not going to do that. Why? Like it takes that one takes five seconds to review. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Uh, I could go on and on. <laughs> Hey, we've got time. You can go on and on as long as you want. Um, okay, so tonight, uh, two games on your network, and you can also watch them on Sportsnet now here in Canada. Um, let's start with the with the for me the marquee one because it has uh, it has two teams battling for the central, and so there's three teams that are within a point of each other, and it, it's been it's been kind of a an interesting ride in the central because Dallas for basically the whole season has been in first place. And now they find themselves in second place and it's the abs and the wild who, I mean, Minnesota was kind of lingering around, but they had their issues, especially early on in the season where it looked like it was going to be a nightmare. And then Colorado has been just banged up like crazy. McKinnon misses time. McCarr misses time. Nichushkin, like, and we could go down the list of all these guys that have missed time. And yet the Colorado avalanche, to me, are in the driver's seat here to win the Central. I feel like this is something that kind of came out of nowhere with Colorado in that they looked like they were going to be a wild card team for the longest time, only because they just had so many injuries. 
Yeah, and you know what it was shaping up to be was a nightmare scenario for any team that won their division in the West, where oh, like Colorado just makes it, they're a wild card team, and congrats, you won your division, maybe even won the Western Conference. And first round, you get Colorado, and guess what? Now they're healthy, and it really was shaping up to be that. Now it's becoming the situation where. And and we've said this, I think, for like a month where it's like, ah, Colorado gets in. It doesn't make a difference as long as they're healthy. And I agree with that to some extent. I think now, Colorado, you want that one seed and you want it badly because you want to avoid. And this just I I really believe you want to avoid Dallas. I just think their goaltending situation, you don't want any part of in a playoff. I don't want to face a goalie who I think can steal a series. And that's where Dallas is in my mind. They have that. Uh, so I think the one seed becomes important to them. They are getting healthier. Bizarrely, and this is crazy, uh, our researcher, uh, Jazz, had this great nugget where in back-to-back games, fielding a roster for a team, this is the healthiest that this Avs team has been since November. And there's still guys that are out, obviously. We have no idea about Landis, Scott. But I think the one seed matters now. And I'm amazed that Minnesota – is right in the mix for it as well. Because if you would have told me that this Minnesota team, which struggled on offense, uh, was relying on goaltending, and was relying on Kaprizov so heavily, was going to make this push while Kaprizov was out, there was no way I would have believed you. Uh, But it's been a collective effort, and we've also seen the emergence of Matt Boldy, and that's been fun to watch. Young player, going to be a star in this league. And if this team now has learned how to score without Kaprizov, and Kaprizov comes back and he's 100% in the playoffs, man, that's a dangerous club. Of course, the question is, and I guess it's a good problem, but who starts in goal for Minnesota game one of the playoffs? So I, I do want to get to Minnesota in a second, but I wanted to touch on Nathan McKinnon. Just in the, like, since, so he comes back from injury at the end of December. I think it was December 31st, actually. So from January 1st, when he, you know, gets gets his feet wet and whatever, he is only, he's second only to Connor McDavid. He has 61 points in 38 games, and 45 of those points have come at even strength. Like, I know Connor's going to win the MVP going away, and I understand that. But Nathan McKinnon is having a, like, in any other year where Connor McDavid doesn't go absolutely bananas, Nathan McKinnon would absolutely be in the conversation. And even still, despite having missed, I think it was 10 games, Nathan McKinnon still may be in the conversation for the Hart Trophy in that maybe he finishes second in voting. Yeah, you know, on TNT, we've been uh, doing two awards now. We have the Hart Trophy and who's who's going to win the Hart <laughs> Trophy runner-up, which I, I believe uh, Kiki Andel said is a picture of, uh, it's a trophy of Connor McDavid holding a trophy. And you get that. And Nathan McKinnon might walk away with that one because, uh, listen, we know how talented he is. Uh, I think what you're seeing with McKinnon, and I, I really love it, especially because they've already won the Stanley Cup, is, you know, there is a drive, there is a determination, a competitiveness. Uh, and he's just got an edge to him, right? Where it's like, even with the contract, right? He got like a contract that was just a little bit bigger than McDavid, right? Just a bit. And I think there's an edge where I, I know McDavid, McDavid's great and he's generational, but listen, don't forget about me. Like when I'm out on the ice, I think there are two people in the world who are intimidating by how they skate. And those two people are McDavid and McKinnon. Uh, I guess you put McCarr right after them. But in terms of forwards, those two guys were just, you watch them skate and it's different and it should frighten other defenses. And I love an edgy Nathan McKinnon. I think you're getting that right now. And you're getting a McKinnon who said, do not forget about us. Don't forget about how good I am. 
And um, if you are, I'm going to put it right out there for you. I, I love that. I think we love that in all of our star athletes. You know, a, like I hate to say it, but like you have to have an ego and you have to be like a little bit of a jerk at times where you're just like, I'm going to show you no matter what, how good I am at this. Yeah, he's he's and he's like a bull. When he's skating at, at full yeah. flight, you you're terrified of that because I know I know McDavid's fast, but the difference between the two is uh, McKinnon's fast and he's built like a truck. Like he's a monster you when he's what? on the ice. Absolutely, I used to say like he reminds me of Adrian Peterson running the football. Yes, hundred percent. Like like angry, fast, and like I don't want to go near him. I don't want to like anywhere near him. He might hit me, and it's. It'll be horribly painful. I don't want to end up on a highlight reel. Um, you mentioned <laughs> Minnesota in there. So they're six, one and two since Kaprizov went down. Here's the thing. Like you talked about the increased scoring. There was a time where it did feel like the only way Minnesota was going to score was with K- Kirill P- Kaprizov was involved in the play, whether it be an assist or actually scoring the goal. But in this, in that stretch, that nine games, they've actually averaged four goals per game, which I was stunned to see that. And you talked about Matt Boldy in that same stretch. He's top 10 in scoring in the nine games. He has 11 goals and four assists. Like you talked about how interesting they're going to be in the playoffs. I think when I look at Minnesota, I look at them much like I do another team that's on your network tonight in the Islanders and that they have the goaltending. They have a very good defensive structure. And if they can manage this score, even just a little bit, I think that they will be in good shape. The other thing that the wild have is there's there's low key tough. And I and low key a pain in the yeah. butt to play against, and that's why I think Minnesota just being in that mix, like you talk about getting home ice and finishing first and avoiding Colorado or Dallas in one of those games. I think Minnesota is is primed to get in there, and and for my money, I would assume that it's going to be, it. I mean, Philip Gustafson's numbers at home are really good, but I feel like it's going to go to Mark Andre Fleury. It's, it, you know, it's a really interesting situation. Uh, and it's actually, it's 100% something where you talk about Henrik Lundqvist with, on the broadcast, sort of who he would put in and also just as a goalie, when you would like to know uh, in that situation. But I, I, it's a good problem to have. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. I think the best part of this dynamic is that Marc-Andre Fleury is involved and he is a tremendous teammate and he shared the net before he's done this, done this in the playoffs with Pittsburgh and he's won. Uh, he's also a guy that I think you can play it either way. You can start Gustafson and then if it doesn't work out, you can bring flurry in. It's not going to be a problem. I think you can do it the other way as well, where if flurry had to start, be pulled and then come back later on in a series or later on in the playoff, he's going to be just fine from mental position and not all goalies can do that. Uh, you know, you really have to look at it and you really have to look at Gustafson right now. And if you're Dean Everson, you have to say to yourself, is Gustafson the type of goalie that I could start a postseason with? And if I remove him, can I bring him back ever and, you know, be confident that he is going to be the same goal he was during the regular season. That's the question I think you have to ask yourself going in. Uh, in the end, I think experience probably trumps it all, and Flurry will get the start. But uh, from what I was told, I will say, Henrik Lundqvist said he was 50-50 at this point, uh, which is a very Henrik Lundqvist, I want everyone to like me answer. Um, so we'll see if he gives us a different answer tonight on the air. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure everybody likes Henrik Lundqvist and top of the list is because he's a very handsome man. So, I mean, it's, it's a yeah. good start. It's very like easy to be liked smart, when you look nice. like that. Yeah. 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 So uh, irritating. he's got everything going for him. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Um, <laughs> the, so the other, the other game we mentioned Islanders and capitals, uh, you can also, you can watch that on Sportsnet now here in Canada and, and, 
the Islanders deal to bring in Bo Horvat kind of caught a bunch of people off guard because they were on the outside kind of looking in and was Bo Horvat going to be the, the, the guy that helps thrust them into the playoffs. Bo Horvat has six goals in 23 games as an Islander. So that clearly hasn't been the reason that they lose Matt Barzal. They've been hurt, but I look at the Islanders and say, if they can get in, which it looks like they're going to get in, if I'm a team like, because it probably play whoever from the Metro, if I'm Carolina, that's not really a team that I want to go up against, especially with that guy between the pipes. I, I don't think anyone wants anything to do with the Islanders in the playoffs. Um, and I'm not saying that just because I live like spitting distance from the Nassau Coliseum. I'm going to have to deal with all these people. Um, but I really don't. I think Sorokin's the number one reason. Again, I'll go back to the idea that if you have a goaltender that scares you and can steal a game, steal a series, you don't want you don't want to face that team, but you also don't want to face an Islanders team that is heavy on experience. You know, I know they missed the playoffs last year, but before that back-to-back final fours and, you know, let's be honest, one of those, a game seven against Tampa, if they win against Tampa, they win the Stanley cup. They're, they're beating Montreal in the final. So they were that close. Uh, the weird thing, yeah, Bo Horvat not producing, uh, it really feels like he needs a wing to make this happen. He's the, he's the one piece that is really missing Barzell. Right, he is missing that, and we have no idea when Barzell is going to come back. Uh, the other thing that makes you nervous about the Islanders is that their power play is bad. It was bad with Barzell, and it is hideous now without him. I think it's clicking at like thirteen point two percent. So you don't want to head into the postseason with that. But experience, guys that know how to win, guys that can play heavy hockey. They have that identity line that just wants to hit everything in sight, uh, and you know it's a team that. I guess the good and bad of it is not dependent upon star players to carry them. So you want the offense to come from everyone. It has done that. Zach Parisi's had a great year. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I would say if you're Carolina, yeah, I'd be nervous about the Islanders. If I'm Boston, yeah, I'm probably not that nervous about anyone at this point. But uh, I don't think anyone from that Metro wants wants to face the Islanders. And it looks like they're going to slot into that position. We'll see. Uh, if they could take care of business tonight against the Caps, a team that is not dead, but right, right there, right on the verge. Yeah, they've they're, they've got one toe uh, in the grave right now. They're pretty, they're yeah. pretty close. Um, I did uh, Liam McHugh from NHL and TNT joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. So I did want to, I wanted to like, I look at the thought of Hurricanes and Islanders in the playoffs and go, okay, that's fine. They're probably not going to score a lot of goals in that series. It'd be very tight. Okay. And then I look at the thought of Rangers and Devils and go, I really love that, but I'm not sure if I love the idea of Rangers and Islanders more than I love the idea of Rangers and Devils. Because I think both have their storylines and both are a lot of fun, but there's something about Rangers, Islanders in the playoffs that would really get the juices going. I don't think there's any doubt. Oh, I mean, if if we could somehow will it into existence, it it would it would be off the charts in terms of intensity. Uh, you know, there is rivalries are built on, you know, playoff madness and, you know, regional animosity. And these two teams have all of that and it'll ramp up in a second, just the slightest hit that someone takes the wrong way. It's, it's going to chaos could ensue. And that's kind of what you want to see. You got two great goalies in this situation and you really have a, you really have a deal with the Islanders and the Rangers right now where uh, the Rangers feel like the star studded team on Broadway because they are, 
and they went out and they got a future Hall of Famer at the deadline. They also got Tarasenko at the deadline. They have, uh, you know, they feel like they belong in the marquee. And then you have the Islanders who feel like, hey, we're the gritty team on the outside that you're not paying attention to. Even when we were good the last few years and went on a run, you still would have rather had the Rangers on the back page of the sports section. Oh, like, please make it happen. Uh, it, it would be just tremendous. Uh, but at the same time, I still feel like the Devils and the Rangers, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what happens to that because I, I really do want to see how this Devils team reacts uh, to being in the playoffs, young, talented, fast, fun. Uh, and to me, no pressure. I, I really don't think there's any pressure at all on the Devils. And there is a mountain of pressure on the Rangers to make a very deep run right now. Well, when we look at the Devils, the only the only question that I have, and it, it may seem like it's nothing because I say the only question I have, but it's the biggest question of all, especially when you get into the playoffs, is can they get a save? Like Vanacek has yeah. had his moments where he's been lights out. Blackwood has had his moments where he's been lights out. Akira Smead has had his moments where he's been lights out. But there have been stretches where none of these guys can make a save. And to be honest with you, I have no idea who they would even think to start in game one of a series, especially against a team like the Rangers, who, let's face it, when they're going offensively, are one of the best teams to watch. And they're a handful because they can throw three lines out at you that can score. I'm just not sure that the goaltending with New Jersey can hold up. Like if I look at any of the contending teams and I'll even include the Toronto Maple Leafs in this discussion, I have the biggest questions about the devil's goaltending more so than I have about anybody else's goaltending. Yeah. Uh, I think when you're talking about contending teams, yeah, I mean, I would throw obviously Pittsburgh in there. If you want to just say playoff teams, well, I said contending though. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I got you. Yeah. Um, I, I think the questions are there and they're warranted. Like, you know, you're, you're right on about that. Uh, I don't know. I, listen, the Devils are not going to get the type of goaltending that's going to shift the series um, unless it's negative. And that's the problem, right? You're just hoping if you're a New Jersey Devils fan that it's good enough, that it's average, that you're not letting stinkers in, that you're not having complete meltdowns out there. Um, and that occasionally, like you mentioned, you get a big save in a big moment. And I don't know if that happens. Uh, and to your point, the Rangers are the type of team that like can score in bunches and pile things on. So, but uh, otherwise than that, I mean, I think the Devils defensively are pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they move the puck well. I think they're, an, you know, obviously offensively they're an exciting team. Uh, I mean, they present a lot of problems. The problem that you get into and that they could get into is you get into a game seven, right? And it's the Devils and it's the Rangers and everything tightens up. Shesterkin's the goalie yep. for the Rangers. And that's the difference. That is the difference. And that would be basically the difference, as you mentioned, with every single contender. And I'm with you. I'll put Toronto in there as well. I think, uh, you know, their goaltending has been exactly what I said. Their goaltending has been good enough. It really has been. It's been good enough. But now will be good enough when they go against Vasilevsky. Uh, I don't know. You, 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 get a whole, you get a whole long time to deal with that up in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, so. We got plenty of time to deal with it. Um, I, I just, just as a, as an aside with that, with that series, like I'm just thinking about how it breaks down. And when I look at, and it's not like it's, it's so heavily favored by each position, but when I look at the forwards, I think I'd still have, I'd rather have the Rangers, even though I love the devil's forward group. I think I'd still have rather have New York's. I think I'd rather have the Rangers defensive group. 
and I'd much rather have the Rangers goaltending. So to me, even though the Rangers may finish third and the Devils finish second and the Devils have home ice, that to me seems like a series that it's like you talked about the pressure. That's the Rangers series to to lose at that point because the Devils, like you said, they're playing with house money. And when you break it down, I don't think that they're better in any facet when you look at positional groupings. I would I would agree with that to a point. I, I you know something we've talked about a lot uh, behind the scenes and a little bit on the show throughout this year is I look at the Rangers D-men and I like them, and then I look at the Rangers defense as a whole and I'm like, eh, it's not as good as I thought it would be. Um, you know, it, it, I like the individuals. I don't know that I like what I see on the ice from them defensively as as a team, and uh, that's a weird one for me where uh, like. There's value there. There's talent there. There's skill, but they should be better defensively. Now, can you all of a sudden tighten that up, play playoff hockey on defense? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that the Rangers can do that. If they can, then that changes things. That's the only concern. Otherwise than that, I'm sorry. Like the devils are walking in there. Like you said, the devils should be loose. They should, they should be like, Hey, we're back in the playoffs. And guess what? We're going to be the playoffs for a long time going forward with this team. So we're getting our feet wet, and if we make a splash during this time, fantastic. The Rangers, I mean, you got Patrick Kane because he came here to win. He didn't come here to win round one. He came here to win a cup. So, you know, you're going in with that type of expectation to game one of the playoffs. Uh, that's a lot to deal with. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, one more before I let you go here. The You mentioned Tampa in there and Vasilevsky, and they, they kind of went through a recent rough stretch. They lost four in a row, but last night – uh, four nothing over the the Carolina Hurricanes, and I know you can't underestimate the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like I get it. My thing is is much like it was for the New England Patriots. At some point, this comes to an end. They've had lengthy playoff runs the last three years. It's well documented. The goaltender in elimination games is as elite as it has been in the history of the NHL. But there's something about the Lightning this season and some of the stretches that they've had where I look at them and go, they're not bulletproof anymore. Agree or disagree? No, I I would agree with that. Uh, There have been lapses with this team uh, and some for extended periods of time that that would really make you question. I would say even just before the last couple of games where they lost to Boston, but I thought they looked really good. And obviously they looked terrific last night. Uh, Before that, they looked shaky and, you know, you look at John Cooper, who I think is such an unbelievable coach. Still doesn't make any sense that the guy's never won a coach of the year award, but he's really never had a lack, you know, lacking for words in a post-game press conference. He's thoughtful. He'll give you answers. And, you know, it wasn't long ago. That's uh, I think it was after the Boston game. He gave a 40 second post-game press conference. Everything was one word answers. And you can tell he was just at that point where he's like, you know, uh, we got to turn this on. We get, we, we started to a little bit against Boston, but we really got to ramp this up. It's got to happen. And he was frustrated. Uh, the talent is there. Vasilevsky is still there, but even Vasilevsky, I've seen at times, he doesn't look invincible. We all think we'll see postseason Vasilevsky, and maybe that'll happen. But I, they, they don't feel like that team uh, of a few years ago. And the funny thing is, Watching a lot of the Leafs, and we've had them on our air a bunch this year, which has been great. There are moments where I watch the Leafs, and I'm like, wow. Like, they are playing the way Tampa played the last few years. They have the elite skill, and they could skate you off the ice if they want to. And then there are times they're in tight, you know, low-scoring games, and I'm like, wow, they can dig in here. And they can smother things, and they can 
keep it tight and tense and try to eke out a point and try to get it to overtime. This is, it feels different. They're finding different ways to win and they're comfortable doing that. So I don't know. I, I, I never like to go against Vasilevsky in a playoff series. And I rarely like to go with a team that hasn't won one since, you know, forever on a time. Um, but, uh, I, I think right now I'm at that point where I'm starting to lean a little bit towards Toronto just because I haven't seen enough from Tampa lately. Yeah, the uh, you just got the the hopes of many Lee fans up here. So just if if that's, they that's lose, they're gonna be for. they're gonna be tweeting you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Liam, Liam, thanks so much for uh, for taking some time for me today. You've been very gracious with it, and uh, have a good call tonight. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. There he goes, Liam McHugh from the NHL on TNT, and I mean tonight. Every game has playoff implications. We have one on our network here, Toronto taking on Florida and the Leafs are already home and cooled. It it looks like home ice is pretty much in the bag for the Leafs here, but the Florida Panthers are playing for something here. And after last night's loss by the Penguins, still there for the taking. And not to mention the fact that the Islanders are taking on the Capitals tonight. The Islanders, they can probably put a dagger in the Capitals' playoff hopes at this point. And then the big one could end up meaning the difference in the Central Division, the Wild and the Avs. Also a lot of fun. And you can watch all of that on Sportsnet now. Uh, all right, when we come back, Max Domi, we talked about this last week, and we didn't get to it because it just got released today. Uh, but Max Domi was on the 32 Thoughts podcast. He sat down with Jeff, and we will hear from him and his appearance on that podcast we'll also hear from rick bonus and his postgame comments from last night because oh rick bonus was not happy after the sharks beat the jets by a three nothing count matt marchese in for jeff merrick you're listening on the sportsnet radio network watching on sportsnet 360 and sportsnet now the best blue jay show out there period blair and barker be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Matt Marchese in for the man whose name's on the marquee, Jeff Merrick. Uh, Programming note for us here, we will not have a show tomorrow. Blue Jays baseball taking over the airwaves. Programming is all over the place. So we will be back on Friday. Jeff will be back in not this chair, but the chair he occupies at home. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. All right, so uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. Jeff was in Dallas. Uh, Him and Elliot ran through the gamut. They interviewed, I mean, it sounds like every member of the Dallas Stars. Um, And in this case, uh, we get to hear from from a forward who was traded there at the trade deadline uh, in in these parts around this city. We know him as Ty's kid. Uh, But uh, this was actually a lot of fun. I listened to the the interview this morning. Uh, Just a a really thoughtful guy. Uh, Let's hear from him. Max Domi, Dallas Stars forward. First of all, Max, thanks for doing this on an off day. So uh, <laughs> from, me, from this little perch, it's much appreciated. The floor is yours. Your thoughts on Dallas. It's awesome. I mean, I haven't been here for that long, to be honest. Uh, yep. Played two games and then went on the road for whatever it was, 12 days. Um, so a great way to get to know the guys. Not necessarily a great way to get to know the city um, <laughs> and everything that goes with it. But uh, so far, so good. Honestly, like great restaurants, great people, organizations, awesome. The staff's great. And yeah. ultimately the teammates. When your teammates are awesome, which they always are, 
uh, just makes everything else much easier. See, that's interesting because you're a player. Like I look at, you know, when I hear the name Max Domi, I think he's involved. Like you're involved in plays, physically, emotionally, like all of it. Like you're mm-hmm. a very engaged hockey player. And when you're like that, you make enemies on the ice pretty quickly. Yeah. What's it like going, like, what was it like going to Dallas? You've played hard against the Dallas Stars previous. Yeah. Are there any, is there, you know, mending of fences when you join a new team? It's hilarious because, I mean, no one ever really, like, holds that against you. But I think deep down they're like, oh, I hated that guy. And guys have told me, we're like, dude, I hated you playing against you. You're just so, <laughs> you're so annoying. Um, but, like, then you become really, really good buddies really quick, yeah. too. So, I mean, that's usually how it works. Everyone I've ever... I mean, hated on the ice. It's a strong word, but that's what we use around here. And you always end up loving the guy when you meet him in person. So that's just how it goes. It's- was there someone on Dallas? You're like, oh, this guy. And then he turns into, this guy's awesome. You go on a 12-day road trip, like, this guy's awesome. Uh, I mean, obviously, Jamie Ben's a guy that, like, no one likes to play against. Yep. I mean, he's such a good player, one. But, two, he's just a monster and he's tough as nails. As far as I'm concerned, he's one of the toughest guys, if not the toughest in the league. And... um He'll, he'll, he'll do whatever he has to do to kind of get in your kitchen, you know, but um, he's a guy that has a lot of respect around the league. So um, yeah. certainly had our battles over, over the years, but a guy that I've always respected and just really happy to be on his side of things, you know, um, <laughs> now. And it's funny, too, because, like, I played with his brother back when I was in Montreal. Yeah, Jordy. And uh, Jordy's great. Like, he's one of the biggest beauties I think I've ever played with. And he always would talk about his bro. I'm like, man, like your brother's a nightmare to play against, but uh, we always have a good chuckle about that. They're both great guys and yeah. super pumped. I've gotten a chance to play with both of them now. You mentioned it's only been a short time since you've been here in Dallas, yeah. but was there, or are there a couple of guys, one guy that you look at and you say, I knew he was good, mm-hmm. but I didn't know he was that good. A lot of them. Um, first I'll go with the offensive side of things. I mean, I guess there's probably six or seven guys that I can say that for, but that top line with Hintz, Robertson, and Pavelski, all three of them, I, I knew they were unbelievable players, yeah. but the plays these guys make, I mean, man, like they just see everything out there. It's like there's three Sedins on the ice. It's it's unbelievable. And you see them in practice, like off the rush. They just make these little like two to three, sometimes five-foot plays, and they're always putting it in areas, and they're skating into it, and, and that comes with a lot of time and chemistry, I think, so... Uh, it's one of the best lines in, in hockey. You can make an argument. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's right there with the with the best of them, you know. And I don't think they get nearly enough credit. Hints with his speed and his skill set is is incredible. Robo's uh, ability to score one, everyone knows that. Yep. But just how smart he is. He's a big kid too. Uh, I didn't realize how big he was. Um, then I was walking behind him. I mean, I'm not that big, obviously. I'm pretty small. But I was walking into a, one of the first games that I played here. I was like, who is this guy in front of me? He's massive. And sure enough, it was a robo. But, yeah. um, and then Joey's, I mean, he's up there. I've heard, obviously, a lot of great raving reviews about him as one of the best teammates there is. And yep. he's exceeded my expectations, which is yeah. tough to do because I've, I've heard amazing things. And he's first class all the way. Let so, me ask you about Pavelski. Pavelski, to me, is fascinating. Personally, I think he's got a Hall of Fame career and he's going in. No doubt. I look at Pavelski and I say, not the fastest skater, not the mm-hmm. hardest shot. Like you take all the individual, yep. maybe the best tipper. I'll give him that. Like no one tips yep. pucks like Pavelski. But I look at everything that goes into making a hockey player. Yep. And I say, there's not like one skill that really stands out other than he competes so hard every shift, every yeah. puck, and is so smart. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. I think everyone sees the the tips and stuff that 
obviously it works on every day. I've seen yeah. that firsthand. It's and pretty cool to watch. I, I watched it yesterday. It's a lot of reps. Like yeah. people think like when you practice on it's like oh, five minutes. Like he's out there for 15, 20 minutes a day. And whether it's early or after practice, I mean he's always he's always locked in. And I think that stemmed. I've always asked him a lot of questions about that. And him and uh, Burnsy back in the day in San Jose and Jumbo, they they had a pretty good thing going there. And yeah. he's like, man, Burnsy is a machine. He just sit there and shoot like three hundred pucks, and I just sit there and tip them all. <laughs> um, so I mean it's it's pretty fascinating what what he's done with his career. He's a guy that around the league is respected by everyone and everyone knows how good he is. And I think everyone's kind of cheering for him to get the ultimate prize of winning the Stanley Cup because uh, that would yep. just be a cherry on top of a heck of a career for him. He'll go down as one of the best American players for sure of all time. And the other guy that I didn't get to talk to on that last question he asked was uh, Miro Heiskanen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, like I knew how good this guy was, just especially from playing against him a little bit. Sure. Uh, when I was in Columbus, we had the same division with um, the shortened season and the bubble and all yeah. that stuff. So I played against him quite a bit, and I was like, man, this guy is so smooth. He's unbelievable. But now playing with him, like you see him plays 30 minutes a night, He's the best player on the ice every single game. It's absolutely absurd. I mean, you see McDavid get the puck and, and take off through through the neutral zone. There's really no one that can keep up with Connor. Everyone knows that. Yeah. And, and there was a play where I just saw Miro take two strides, and he just kind of kept his stick right there. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that is that is absurd. And and honestly, everything he does, he he just he yeah. makes so many incredible plays, and he makes everyone around him better. And we're very lucky to have him here. I think he's one of my favorite players to watch and definitely to play with. So he's uh, he's unbelievable. All right, Max, I want to ask you about teeth. Let's, first of all, let's see the smile. Okay. What do we think? How did that happen? So funny. It was like literally four days before I got traded. So these guys in Dallas only know me as the guy with no teeth. But before, <laughs> literally right before that, I had, I had pretty nice teeth, to be honest with you. Um, but one of my good buddies, Scott Harrington from, uh, I mean, way back in London. Yeah, you know, Harry, yeah, he, was, yeah. he was my captain. Uh, he was my ride to the rink every day when I was 16 and 17 years old. We were very, very close. He was like a brother to me, honestly, back then. Anyways, I, I was kind of with uh, uh, Andreas Hath and SU going to the neutral zone, and double A kind of threw a puck this way, so I kind of tried to go around him. And Harry just decided to swing his stick a little bit higher <laughs> and, like, square in the face. And I just, like, went down and I little like Rebound, but keep a look at Max Domi here, especially in the grill area. Stick from Harrington goes right up. Pow. No. Are those some chiclets falling out? Spit right? chiclets, dude. Oh. I'd be upset if that happened to me. Also, no call. And Oh, yeah. Not only was it these two teeth here, it was like the top four and then the bottom four. Like, it was just a big hole. I mean, don't read words, everyone, but I think, you know, I think we know what he's saying. And Oh, Duncan man. Keith in San Jose, we got a couple teeth on the ice with Max Domi. That's an occupational hazard of the job. I went yeah. back to the bench, and there was no penalty. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I have no teeth. What do you think I just did this myself? So, uh, I mean, honestly, man, like, it's a new look for sure. Yep. My girlfriend and mom aren't huge fans of it, but, I mean, <laughs> hey, I, I don't mind it. The lisp is a little bit annoying sometimes when you're trying to articulate eh. some words, but it's also kind of funny. You look at yourself in the mirror, it makes you laugh. Listen, Bobby Clark's special in your life, and yes. now you got the Bobby Clark look, right? Very true. Relationship with your team's dentist is what now? Good. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it had to be good because it was like my second day here that I met with the dentist. He was like the first yeah. guy I met, so... Um, no, pretty good in, in, in Dallas. Uh, the Anaheim one took care of me originally. San Jose, I just didn't have time because they were flying out right away to back yeah. to back. So I was just kind of like, all right, thanks. See ya. Like, he's like, ah, yeah, that's not very good, but yeah. you'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm like, okay. And then Chicago, obviously, was like, all right, we're going to book you in for an appointment tomorrow. And yeah. tomorrow was the day I got traded. So it was a bit of a like week-long 
wait for me to get these teeth fixed. Yeah. And this is fixed, believe it or not. Like the, the two holes, that's what they call <laughs> fixed nowadays. So um, it is what it is. Any chirps, any players telling you you can, uh, oh, look, Max Domi can eat an apple through a fence now. It's so funny. Um, what's that kid's name? A really good player in Buffalo, the defenseman, the big kid, Samuelson. Yeah, Matthias um, Samuelson. Yeah. I don't know. I said something to him again, just me being me. Said something stupid probably. And he looked at me, and, he, and it was like my first game without both teeth. And um, he's like, dude, shut up. Look at your smile or whatever, something like that. I can't really repeat exactly <laughs> what he said, but I was like, damn, I wasn't prepared for that one. It's my first game with no jibs. So I got to go back to the drawing board just to be ready for that one. But, uh, yeah, no, he got me good with that one, I guess. That was fantastic. I love when we get stories of chirps from other players. Like, I remember hearing a story <clears> – <throat> And I can't remember. I think it was said to Andrew Peters. And I'm sure somebody will tell me if I'm wrong, but I read it. I remember reading in one of the hockey news magazines. And it was somebody said to Andrew Peters, it was a guy who had just got sent back down from the NHL and Peters was chirping him. And the guy just looked at him and went, shut up or I'm going to knock you out with my wallet, which is fantastic. The other, the other one, of course, is Bowen Byram. Uh, when he was playing in the, the WHL and uh, a player, an older player was trying to chirp him. And, you know, Byron finally said to me, he said, listen, why don't you shut up? Because while you're working a nine to five, I'll be getting paid nine to five. Ouch. Ouch. And a lot of the stuff you could never repeat on these airwaves. I mean, you could. Uh, the CRTC would be all over us. So we don't need that. Um Speaking of uh, speaking of laying a chirp, and this one last night was subtle. Maybe no, it wasn't subtle. I, I I take that back. It wasn't subtle at all. Rick Bonus absolutely killed some of his players. Let's listen to Rick Bonus's post game from last night. Well, I would say we created enough scoring chances that we the, the, the offense gave us a chance to. Um, to win the game, we just didn't score, and then we, uh, and then they become the inconsistencies of some of our players uh, is hurting us. Um, you know, if some of these guys think they're giving us everything in their tank, they're dreaming. Um, so we got a lot of guys in there giving us everything they can, and we just need a few more guys to jump on board. It's not over. We're still in eighth spot, and. Uh, we're going to find out what we're made of over the next little while. How do you reach those guys, Rick? The guys that you need more from, how do you reach them? Listen, that's what I... There's, there comes a point where your pride has to take over. How do you reach them? There comes a point where their personal pride has to take over. If someone has to go in there and, and point that out to them, then uh, then then there's, there's a big problem right there. So, as I said, we're going to find out what we're made of. We're going to find out what everyone in that room is made of over the next little while. Ooh. At some point, your pride needs to take over, and some guys who think they're giving it all in their tank are dreaming. I mean, <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations to figure out who those players are, but, I mean, we could probably decipher who he's talking about. Listen, the Jets are in a very precarious situation because this team, I think going in, I think a lot of people thought they were going to take a step back. 
And Rick Bonus had them playing excellent hockey at the beginning of the season to the point where we were talking about them winning the Central Division. And so the season continues. They go into a little bit of a lull. And now they're fighting for their playoff lives and losing games to a team like the San Jose Sharks. And you get shut out by the San Jose Sharks. By the way, James Reimer, an incredible save last night. Literally the whole net. Boom. Pop the stick out. Paddle save. But for the Jets, I mean, you look at the schedule going forward. They, they're home for one, two, three, four, five games. And they have in those five games, the Red Wings should win that. Although the Penguins should have beat the Red Wings last night. That didn't happen. They have the Devils. Yikes. Not great. They have the Flames, who they're battling for for that final wild card spot. They have the Preds, who they're battling for that final wild card spot. And then they get those pesky San Jose Sharks once again at home. So those are the next five. Then they finish off the season on the road against the Wild and the Avalanche. Rick Bonus talked about, we're going to find out what this team is made of. You're absolutely going to find out what this team is made of. Because the games against the Wild and the Avs to finish off the season... Those could be for the Central Division. Not for Winnipeg, but but for the teams that they're playing. And so I just look at that situation and I say, there's plenty that can happen in this offseason. What what happens with the general manager? I don't I don't think the coach is going anywhere. He's just signed a deal this past offseason. I don't think Rick Bonus is going anywhere. What happens with Connor Hellebuck? What happens with Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, Pierre-Luc Dubois? Basically said he wants to be a Montreal Canadian. The Winnipeg Jets, whether they make the playoffs or not, have one of the most interesting off-seasons ahead of them in the NHL because we could see a lot of turnover. That's it for hour one of the Jeff Merrick show. When we come back, we're going to chat a little bit about the Boston Bruins and how horrible their power play has been over the last basically two months. Billy Jaffe from Nesson NHL network and the morning brew podcast will join us uh, next. And also an hour two. Elliot Friedman stops by for his regular hit. You're listening to the Jeff Merrick show, Matt Marchese hosting on the Sportsnet radio network and watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet now. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. Again, programming note, we will not be on the air tomorrow, but we will be back on Friday. Jeff will be in the host chair as he will be back from whatever his assignment is today. I can't remember. I can't keep track of his assignments. I do want to get a big shout out here to Raptors broadcaster right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and also on Sportsnet, Eric Smith. 1,000 games. What an incredible accomplishment. And like I said on Twitter last night, he's a Bills fan too, so... He's also a good guy in my books. Congratulations to our pal here, Eric Smith. Uh, joining me on the line, Billy Jaffe from Nesson, the Morning Brew Podcast, and the NHL Network. Good afternoon, Mr. Jaffe. How are you? 
uh, young man, and I can call you that. How are you doing? <laughs> How's everything? I'm good. Everything uh-huh. is everything is good here. You know what? Uh, everything is good except for the Bruins power play. And now I was looking up some numbers last night. There, the, at the beginning of the season, it was incredible. And now we look for the last mm-hmm. two months, They their power play, I believe, is working at a 13.6% clip, which would be uh, only better than the yep. Blackhawks, Sharks, and Flyers. And in that stretch, they were tied with Vegas for the second most points in the league. Explain how the heck that one works. Not exactly sure, to be <laughs> honest with you right now. First 37 games of the year, they had 37 power play goals scored. Not bad, right? Yeah, they had, a, they had one stretch, Matt, where they had two power play goals in a game for five games straight. I'm not that smart, but I can even tell you that that's 10 power play goals in five games. Pretty awesome, right? Um, and the last 37 games, so they played 74, so I split it down the middle. They've scored um, 18 power play goals. So there you go. It's just a tale of two power plays. And uh, last night, post game. On uh, our broadcast, Coach Jim Montgomery was asked about that. And he said, don't know, not sure. It really hasn't been good since our uh, Christmas break, basically. And um, he's not being flippant. I think you can tell his frustration. Um, This is my take, high above watching it. They're thinking way too much. They are holding on to the puck way too long. And then they're making plays instead of, you know, the best power plays just flow and go. Now, there's obviously practice that comes into it and understanding of space and everything, but there's a flow to it. And the Bruins have gotten out of that flow. They, their, their entries have been particularly frustrating for a while now. If they do enter it, half the time they'll pull up into an area within about four to five feet of the blue line, and now if they have a, an aggressive penalty killer closing on them, they then have to force a pass or make a perfect pass that doesn't always connect. And then the other thing is they're become, they became predictable, whether it was looking for posture knock or looking for the bumper. And I think a lot of that, you combine all that together and teams seem to be more aggressive on the PK in general, but especially against the Bruins that it has been hindering them. I also think that their second unit is a, is simplifying it more, perhaps thinking less and they've seen a little bit better. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get a little more, more opportunity. Uh, and I, and I felt like we saw it last night a bit too, instead of a minute 20 for the first unit, it was about 48, 50 seconds. Second unit came on for 30, 35. And then with a face off mat, they put the first unit back out again. So uh, it's, it, it's the one thing that hasn't been good for this team. Yeah. And that, and that's my thing. Like, I, I mean, you never want to say it's a worry going into the playoffs because, well, they've been just fine without it clicking at a very good percentage over the last few months. But you know, when you get to the playoffs and special teams become so much more important because, listen, I mean, generally speaking, they don't call as many penalties. Last season, I think, especially in the first round, we saw the playoffs called a little bit differently. But, you know, when I look at this Bruins team and the power play, it's certainly not for a lack of talent. And you talk about simplifying it a little bit. At what point do they just start to say, okay, we're just going to get into shooting lanes and try and shoot just to just to even get this thing going? Because the one thing that when you're talking about how they're overthinking it, I, I always go back to when John Cooper talked about the lightning power play at one point when they were making that extra pass and they were trying to make it too cute. Do you think that that's what's going on with the power play here is that maybe they're they're just trying to make that extra pass or trying to make it too cute? 
Um, it's part of it. I, I think that there's a, a little bit of a stubbornness factor too. I, I, I just, I also think they don't, they just don't get into the zone cleanly that often, which is, you know, it's, it's just so, it's just as interesting because you see a lot of other teams with what you would say are average power plays get in a lot better. You know, they do a lot of the, the kickback play, um, as part of the breakout, I'm not an enormous fan of that personally. That's just me. But, you know, I'm no, you know, I say this all, you know, like, look, I didn't score one power play goal in the NHL, right? I just, that, that's, but I've watched a ton of it and analyzed forever. I'm not, like, if I was coaching uh, a, a team, that's not my ideal thing. I would have two or three guys maybe coming up from below than just one guy because then I think you've got too many guys stationary at the offensive blue line. And then they try and get it in. Um, They've got such amazing talent that they're all kind of looking to do certain things out there. And I I feel like they're almost, they're looking to do so much that they're taking away their best options, which is just quick, get the puck, move the puck, shoot the puck, retrieve it again, do that. And then maybe more come, but it starts with their entries. It does, Matt. That's as far as I'm concerned, because if you get a one and done, which is oftentimes based off of a, poor entry you kind of get it in you feel like you're almost pressed to get an opportunity and you take the shot then they send it down the length of the ice that gets very frustrating for teams yeah i noticed that i saw the i was watching the game last night and i noticed on the broadcast you were talking about the entries it's just really it's a fascinating thing for me because again like the talent is there for all this to happen it's just it's just not oh, happening yeah. right now uh-huh. you know and so that that can, i'm sure that the bruins players are very frustrated with that but you know one guy who I mean, he can't be frustrated with the way his season's going is David Pasternak. So he scores last night, 52 in the dying seconds of the game, which, you know, meant nothing for the overall game, but for him, it wasn't for a lack of trying eight shots and, you know, just focusing on the season overall that he's still the same guy. He's still a great shooter. He has the great shot. He has the quick release. He's got the great one timer, but is there something different about the way that he's scoring goals this year that makes you think that he's he's elevated his game even to another level that maybe we didn't expect he could? Uh, yeah, I would I would say not just scoring goals, but just playing as well. And if you go back to, for, you know, last night's game wasn't great for anybody, for the Bruins. And and it, it, it wasn't like the Chicago game a few weeks ago where they just they just weren't smart. But they but they had had three nights in Chicago. And I think that they were Chicago'd, if you know what I mean, in that game. And yep. that's what's going to happen this Nashville game, they came up these two incredibly emotional, physical, intense games over the weekend against Tampa and Carolina. And the thing that was so impressive about Carolina, and I'm getting to the point about Pasta here, is that they were without Marshan Bergeron and Lindholm, three of their best players. So who stepped up in that game? David Pasternak. He was a beast. He was a beast. McAvoy was a beast. Krejci was great too. But, but Pasternak in particular, he relished that opportunity to help lead by example. And he forechecked his butt off and he physically engaged himself. And he did so much more than just looking for the shot. He was looking to create opportunities for his teammates. He was back checking. He had shorter shift length. Everything was awesome. And that's what we've seen more of this year than not. And lately, actually, Matt, like his game hasn't been. It's funny. You know, he's such a darn good player, such a gifted scorer. He's still picking up points. But I wouldn't say that it has been a complete full 200-foot game. But we saw that on that last Sunday against Carolina when the team still pulled out a victory in a shootout. It was an exciting game. I, I say it was one of their gutsiest efforts of the season, 
given up who they were playing, when they were playing, back-to-backs in Carolina, place they haven't done well, and that they had a Pasternak leading them. It was awesome. What we're seeing less from him are the classic one-timers that everybody knows that he can do. We're seeing a lot more of almost like he'll take a puck off of a – it's almost like a, a sweep snapshot that he brings the puck to the middle of the ice. Oftentimes he tries it now on the power play where he takes a couple of strides interior – and then he'll take this shot, and, and, and Pasternak shoots differently. He doesn't have his blade fully on the ice. He uses more of the toe on the ice, and his hands are up, and he'll zip it. And it just goes over the pad of the goaltender, and, and that's a, a fun shot to watch. And you say, how did that go in? And then you realize the quickness of his release and from the angle which which he takes it is what makes it unique. Um, but he's just, when he's on, which we've seen a fair amount this year, physically he is stronger and he's playing more of what you would say a complete game. Um, he's a wonderful person and he's, he's a face of the league right now. I, I love to say this. There's never a bad day in Postaville. There just never is. The guy is just always in a good place and he's got a wonderful personality. And I think that's, he's learning to be a leader and he's part of that next generation of leaders for this Bruins team, which is a beautiful job of developing leaders. I, I agree on both points. And as somebody who visits Pastaville a lot uh, in an Italian household, I can tell you there's also <laughs> no bad days in my Pastaville either. Uh, Billy Jaffe from Nesson NHL Network and the Morning Brew Podcast joining me on the show here. So, you know, I, I look at last night's game and I can see the frustration because, listen, they fired a ton of rubber at UC Soros. He was really good last night. And, and again, sometimes that happens. And so we saw... Montgomery go to Pasternak, Marshawn, and and Bergeron last mm-hmm. night. And and he does mm-hmm. that over the course of the year. You know, sometimes you need to change things up a little bit. But in a playoff series, what do you think the patience level is for a guy like Jim Montgomery or the threshold to which he says, okay, I need to put these guys back together? Because he's clearly not afraid of it. But what does that do to the other lines when you put those three guys together? Uh, well, he's been doing it all year. So, you know, he hasn't done as much lately because Krejci, Pavel Zaka, boy, has Zaka been good lately. And, and Pasternak, as a threesome, have been excellent. You know, they've been doing their thing. And, and, you know, let's not forget this team, it's not that they haven't had anything to play for, per se, because they're still pros and they want to do certain things. But the intensity factor hasn't been there as much lately, except for a few of these games. Again, I go back to last weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Tampa, Carolina. But earlier in the season, Matt, the first half of the season, holy smokes, you know, Jim Montgomery was not afraid at all. All of a sudden, mid-second period, and we saw two and a, or three different line combos. You know, one guy moved to each place, and he was very open about it from day one. You know, the guys will play with each other. Different guys will play with each other at different times, and it's not always punishment. It's just sometimes necessary tweakage. Uh, there have been a few messages sent, but it's been more. It's not like, you know, when he moved Taylor Hall to the third line, it wasn't like, we don't believe in you. It's like, look, we think that this is the best place for you because you've also got a certain guy as your center and Charlie Coyle. The two of you can guys do some damage. And the next thing you know, Taylor Hall was, was, was racking it up. I don't think it does anything to the others because you're like last night, you're moving Jake DeBrusque. You're still putting him with David Krejci's line. That's pretty damn good. You know, you're, you're putting them there and, 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 and guys are used to it by now. And so they, they see that the old, you know, cliche, but some of the parts is greater than the individual that, you know, that, and, and that's, and that's where they're at, Matt. So they know if, if pasta is being put with that line, that this is just a, this is go time guys that we think something needs to happen. But there've been many times 
that he's done it during the year, and it has worked magnificently. So I think he also has the guy's confidence. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned how they're not really playing for anything. They, it feels like they haven't really been playing for much since basically December because they've just been. You talked about it, they were red hot at the beginning. Of the, they've been red hot all year. But is there is there a concern about the lack of adversity maybe that this team has faced? Because like I said, they're steamrolling the competition. They're setting records left and right. They they've seemingly had first place in the NHL locked up since you know, basically uh, two months, it feels like. Is there a concern about not having those high? I know you talked about the games over the weekend, but maybe those games are too few and far between ahead of the playoffs. Like, is there a concern about that? I know this is a professional group and guys have won here, but is that something that maybe creeps into the minds of of the, the team as we get closer to the playoffs? I don't think the team, but I do think that the general public has that concern. <laughs> you know, I mean, all they do is they look back to the Tampa Bay Lightning a couple of years ago, and that's what everybody, you know, fat, you know, uses as as their is their talking point. Well, look what Tampa did, and then only to get beat by by Columbus. Um, but I think the Bruins, I, at least I hope the Bruins, Maddie, have the advantage of looking at that history, recent history, and saying we can't have that happen to us. We know that you can't replicate the intensity, the passion, the desire, the um, whatever the, the adjective is of playoff hockey. And we do know, right, as hockey people, that the Islanders, Florida, and Pittsburgh, albeit they're not playing pretty hockey right now, are at least playing a more intense style of hockey to just try and make it into the playoffs. Right. But not, none of them are really saying we want that spot, at least in my opinion. Yeah. I saw somebody termed it the mild card instead of the wild card right now. I thought that was <laughs> accurate. Um, but it's a different mindset, right? You're playing with this, I guess you're, you're facing adversity and you're playing with a, a regular intensity. With all that said, this Bruin team has said from, it's going on probably six weeks now, that they understand that while this is nice, this doesn't mean anything, what they're doing. They're not doing this all by chance. And I think that's what I'm, Again, maybe I'm talking myself into it, Matt, but that's what's most encouraging <laughs> to me is that they're they're not doing this by chance. You know, they have had some of these other games recently where, you know, they're they're playing teams that are desperate. You know, they played Minnesota. Now Minnesota's missing a few, but they went in and after after beating a Jets team that was incredibly desperate on the road after after the Bruins got beat by the Hawks and the Bruins played a beautiful game in, in Winnipeg and then I, I just, I, I just think that I, I think they have enough leadership. I sure hope so. They have enough leadership and overall vibe through the locker room to say we're going to be okay. And adding guys like Hathaway and Orlov and Bertuzzi that adds a, a, a real element to your team too. These guys haven't been here all year. They're still in the. I want to show that I'm valuable to this team, that I'm worthy of what they gave up for me, type of thing. And they're fitting in just absolutely seamlessly. I think that is something that should should help catapult this team to good heights. You mentioned the the trade deadline acquisitions there. Who do you think has had the biggest impact? Because I'll tell you, when I saw that that they grabbed Hathaway first and then it was part of the Orlov deal, and I just went, of course they did. Because Garnet Hathaway, for me, <laughs> feels like a Boston Bruin. Um, and so does Tyler Bertuzzi, for that matter. But which of those three guys do you think has had the biggest impact on this group? Oh, boy. That's like asking, you know, 
Which one's your favorite uh, kid? I want to say a parent to pick their favorite kid. Maybe, maybe a, 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 an uncle to pick their favorite, you know, their uh, nephew or niece. Um, they've all had such a distinct impact on the team. You know, it's hard to change or it's hard to, to say that, you know, how does a guy who can play 22, 23 minutes a night not have the biggest impact in Orla? But the Bruins yet already had um, a really good twosome in Lindholm and McAvoy leading the charge on the back end. But now that you've got Orlov there too, it, it's, it's, it's beyond a pick your poison. In theory, if you split up one of those three guys, one of the three of them could be on the ice the entire game. That's, you know, they all play 22 plus minutes a night. So it's pretty heady stuff. I think that Hathaway has given them an element on the fourth line that they had some of, but they got a lot more of now. He's got more skill, I think, than people realize. Uh, so, but you know, he plays his 10 to 12 minutes a night, but he does it right, and he does it in the, in, the, in the, what we used to call, you know, the big bad Boston Bruins style. And they needed some more of that. And then yet, now here I am, I'm just talking my way through this so I can give him each props, Maddie, because it's really hard to say which one. But, you know, Bertuzzi, he only has a goal, but he's, he's, uh, he's, his passing is at a level that I didn't know that he had. His, his passing has been great, and he's filling a second unit power play role. So they've all had a, really a direct impact on this team. I think the, the physical side of things, gets elevated uh, incredibly by Hathaway and Orlov. Orlov is a fierce open ice hitter. Um, so, I, I mean, I can give you props on all three of them, but if you're going to go by minutes, the biggest impact is Dmitry Orlov. If you're going to go by hits, you're going to go by Hathaway and, 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 and lane drive, et cetera. And if, if you're going to go with hands and hockey instinct, and Orlov's got pretty good hockey instinct too, mind you, but, but Tyler Bertuzzi has really shown me a lot of stuff. Uh, just before we let you go here, because I know you got to run, I wanted to ask you about the goalies. And and listen, Allmark is the leading candidate for the Vezon. He's been incredible. And and Swayman's been very good in his own right. He's got a, a 920-plus save percentage. His goals against average is like 2.21. How do you think they deploy them in the playoffs? Like, is it is it Linus Allmark's net until it's not, basically? I think it starts that way. But I don't think that they are – I don't think it's etched in stone, I, I think there's a comfort level that uh, we playing that they've established playing both of these guys. That Matt, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, let's just I don't. You know, we've got to see how the schedule lays out. In theory, you should have days off in between games, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know about building schedules and stuff, but assuming that there's days off in between games, I'm guessing that they start with Olmark and they ride him a bit. But if they suspect any type of a physical or mental thing, meaning you know uh, wear down. Um, or if there's a little, if there's a slide in his game, they're not going to hesitate to go to Swayman. And it won't be, oh, we have no choice. It's, well, we've done it all year. But, you know, Jim Montgomery the other day um, said, you know, it's most likely going to be Allmark. That's pretty much is, you know, what you're going to get out of the most you're going to get out of Monty right now. I mean, that said to me, they know that Olmark will start. I do think they'll try and ramp him up here a little bit before the end of the season just to give him maybe two or three starts in a row at one point, Matt. Because he hasn't done that since, well, I don't have the date in front of me. It's been a while. It's it's been a couple of months since he's had those those three that like a, a long stretch of game start. Um, so I I think I, I think when it's all said and done, we know that Linus gets the nod. But there's going to be no hesitation to say Sway, it's your term, and everybody's going to they're not going to double they're not going to double clutch. 
if they see his name up on the board in the locker room, you know, that he's in there because especially the last month or so, he's been excellent. His, he had to reset a little bit, but his confidence, his swagger and his presence, Swayman's presence has been excellent lately, just the last month or so, month and a half. Uh, it's a good problem to have. Uh, that's that's for certain. I know there's probably 31 other teams that would like that same problem. Uh, listen, Billy, I know you got a jet. Uh, thanks so much for jumping on with me today and chatting some Bruins. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, happy to. And again, let me just emphasize this. This is a team that, that absolutely loves what they've done, but they understand. And this, it, there's not one ounce of cockiness with this team. They have confidence, but they understand that, that, that this is all great and this is important but they understand April 17th starts the most important and they don't, they don't, they're not looking past anybody, no matter who they get. Yeah. That's a, that's a scary team to be playing against. Uh, thanks Billy. Appreciate it. Take care, man. There he goes. Billy Jaffe from Nesson, the morning brew podcast. And of course, NHL network. Hey, you know what time it is? It's time for the random player of the day. And if you would like to nominate yours, JM show at sportsnet.ca, and we will do our best to try and get to your random player. And this one was submitted by Rob Beach, who is a DC native and hated this player growing up and watching him throughout his career. So he said, I want to know more about him. And that player is none other than Darius Kasparitis, a veteran of 863 NHL games. He only scored 27 goals over those games. But of course he wasn't known for scoring goals. Darius Kasparitis, uh, 1,379 penalty minutes born in Lithuania in 1972. He was drafted fifth overall by the Islanders in 1992. He left Lithuania at 14 to train in Russia where he played for Moscow dynamo starting at 16. Now, we all know Darius Kasparaitis for his physical style. And specifically, I remember growing up and watching the Rock'em Sock'em videos and Darius Kasparaitis hip checks were all over those videos and they were devastating. That is the one thing that we do not see a lot of anymore in the NHL because, well, frankly, it's dangerous. Um, I remember growing up and watching that and trying to emulate that a little bit when I played defense, which was not for very long because they realized that I couldn't play in my own end. So that was the guy that you kind of watched to, to figure out how to do it. And he was incredible at it. So one player in particular, that was the recipient of one of these devastating checks. It was not a hip check, but it was a shoulder to chest slash chin was Eric Lindros who ended up missing 18 games following the hit. Now here's how valuable Darius Kasparitis was. When it came to free agency, Lindros was a member of the Rangers in 2002. He actually personally called Kasparaitis to recruit him to come play for the Rangers. Kasparaitis said he felt awkward not only taking the call, but going to play with a guy that he had injured years before, to which Lindros said, hey, it's part of the game. People get hurt. That That's hockey for you. So Darius Kasparaitis, despite not being certainly not an offensive juggernaut, was a guy that was very valuable. He was a guy that was highly drafted, fifth overall by the Islanders. Here's my favorite little bit of trivia about Darius Kasparaitis. So everybody remembers Merrick Malik night at Madison Square Gardens. November, I think it was 26, 2005. Merrick Malik goes in, fakes a shot between the legs, roofs it on Ole Kolzig, Rangers win. So there's two parts to this night. One, there were only two shooters remaining for the New York Rangers. Tom Pody was hurt in that game, so he was not on the bench. So the Capitals had three left. The Rangers had two. Fedor Tutin was one of them, and Darius Kasparaitis was the other. 
That shootout went 15 rounds, as we know. Uh, apparently, Yarmir Yager was really egging on Tom Rennie to let Kasparaitis shoot, to which he really didn't want to. I mean, for a guy that scored 27 goals in his career, I could see why you wouldn't want to shoot. But that night was also the first night which started a, a, a trend and, and something that they do all the time now at MSG and across the league, Darius Kasparaitis went to Yarmir Yager. The fans were going crazy. And he basically said, Hey, why don't we get all the guys together and go salute the fans? Because they were going absolutely bonkers. So you can, you can credit the salute at MSG to Darius Kasparaitis. All those years ago, we're talking Oh my God, 18 years ago? 18 years ago. The salute at MSG. Thank you to Darius Kasparaitis for that. So they still do that today, all going back to him. Uh, Kasparaitis represented Russia uh, and the Soviet Union at many international events. Uh, He was a three-time Olympic medalist, including gold in Albertville in 1992. Now, he never played for Lithuania for the longest time because, well, they weren't very good. So in 2018, he finally got a chance to play for Lithuania at the world championships in the one B division in which they won gold. He was inducted into the Russian hockey hall of fame in 2016. And at last check, he owns and operates the Veraska group, a realty company in Florida. So that's what I know and found out about one of the best hip checkers that I've ever seen in Darius Kasparitis. If you want to submit yours, your random player of the day, jam show at sportsnet.ca. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, Elliot Friedman, Wraps up the show. All that when we come back. Sportsnet Radio Network and watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now.